Well, once again, welcome to those of you who are just joining us online, and for those of you who managed to straggle in a little bit late, we're so glad you're here. Just in case you don't know me, once again, I'm Pastor Graham, and I'm the teaching pastor here, and it's so great to be together. We are continuing our series today on the seven deadly sins. We've been working our way through this this list from Christian tradition. This isn't a list that comes from the Bible, but it is a list from Christian tradition that is very, very old, like on the order of 18 centuries old. And it is a list that helps us to categorize and think about sin in a way that helps us to manage it in our own lives and to work against it and to be more like Jesus as we live out our days. Today, we are focusing on gluttony which, like, let's pray. Let's, get, let's pray before we get into it. God, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would speak through me. Thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given me for today. And I pray, Lord, that my lips would be in your service. I pray that we would hear from you today. Nobody's here to hear from your, me, God. We want to hear from you. We're here to meet with you. And we pray that our hearts would be open and that we would be ready and that you would push something deep into us that we can grow into people who serve you. In your name, amen. I did some asking around this morning, and I think I found one person who has heard a sermon on gluttony before. Anyone? Show show of hands. Has anyone heard heard a sermon on gluttony before? I I hadn't until this week because I went and looked for some. Jason's heard one? Okay, all right. So, right, it's not a topic that we hear very often. And one of the things that I've noticed consistently with this series, as we've worked through the seven deadly sins, we've worked through pride and wrath and greed and envy, one of the things that I've noticed is how much our society not only accepts, but celebrates many of these vices. You know, we we celebrate the people who have managed to accumulate so much wealth, wealth that they literally couldn't spend in their lifetimes if they tried. We, we celebrate pride in, in so many different forms. We celebrate envy with, you know, an entire gift-giving season where everything is about, here's what you can get, ask for this, make sure that this is the thing that you're looking for. We do so much in our society to not only accept but celebrate these vices that Christianity has called out for centuries. But gluttony, gluttony might be the one that gets snuck past our guard most often even as Christians. Like, as, as Christians, we know that this is on the list, but, and we know that it's not good, and even our society isn't as big on this, but it just sort of sneaks past. It's not necessarily that we accept it, but, like, we're so busy fighting bigger sins, like, like lust and pride, that, and, you know, things like wrath and sloth are so obvious that gluttony sometimes it feels just gets a pass. So let's take a week. Let's talk about this. Let's see what this is. I'll use my my same format that I've been using. First, we'll talk about what is gluttony? What does it mean? Then we'll take a little bit to talk about why it's a negative, why it's something that Christianity has condemned, and then we'll spend a little bit of time talking about how we can manage it. So what is gluttony? quick definition from gluttony. The definition is habitual greed or excess in eating. Straightforward, right? Pretty much what we were all expecting. Gluttony has been denounced by many church fathers, theologians, and thinkers in the history of Christianity. Most notably, to me, the name that really stood out was Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas did a big 
big takedown of the idea of gluttony. Thomas Aquinas was a thinker in the Middle Ages. He was a great theologian. Um, he's referred to as a doctor of the Catholic Church, which means he's a, they, they mean doctor in the context of teacher, right? So he's one of the great teachers of the Catholic Church. It's like Augustine, Aquinas, like they're, they're big, big names in history that, are, that stand alongside a man like Thomas Aquinas. But it is never actually called a sin in the Bible, those words, that word doesn't come up. You look at sin lists, and the word gluttony isn't there. However, gluttony is consistently referred to negatively. It is consistently referred to in contexts where it is deeply unwise, where it is very bad. It's never called a sin, but it is very, very sin-adjacent, which is relevant to our series. One of the things that we've said is that the seven deadly sins are called this, they're called deadly, because they spawn more sin. Gluttony does that. Just in the original definition that we read, we've already mentioned greed, habitual greed or excess in eating, right? So, boom, there's, there's a connection between gluttony and greed, right there, already, Proverbs 23, verses 20 to 21 says, Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, right, gluttony, for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Note the attachment there between gluttony and sloth or laziness, which is another of the seven deadly sins. Or in Proverbs 28, verse 7, A discerning son heeds instruction, but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father. This isn't one of the seven deadly sins, but the command to honor your father and mother is one of the ten, right? The ten commandments. And so here is the Bible tying the, sin, the idea of gluttony to dishonoring your father and mother. Or Philippians 3, verses 18 to 19, where Paul says, for as, often as, for as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Well, that phrase, their God is their stomach, that's idolatry right there, right? Like if you have a phrase that's their God is, kind of whatever the blank is afterwards, if it's not God, that's idolatry. Gluttony is also tied to the intense desire for food, which we could easily understand as a form of lust. So, talk about a deadly sin. We can see how gluttony ties itself and attaches itself and spawns more and more sin in our lives. So, let's talk about why gluttony is bad. And the first and most important thing to bring up is that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What we do with our bodies matters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, we read, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred. And you, together, are that temple. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, we read, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. All of that to say, when we mistreat our bodies, we are disrespecting God. 
we as Christians so easily and readily condemn things like drinking, alcohol, and smoking, but some of us, as a pastor I used to know once often said, some of us are digging our graves with a fork and spoon. Failing to take care of our bodies means that we end up having to spend time, energy, and frankly money dealing with health problems that we otherwise wouldn't. And that means having less time, energy, and money to do the things that God has set out for us and to help the people that we are called to help. And I want to be clear that gluttony isn't only about eating too much. Thomas Aquinas, who we already referenced, lists five forms of gluttony. And he gives them all wonderful Latin names, which I'm not going to try to pronounce because that would be embarrassing. (laughs) But the five forms that he lists are the first one is eating too expensively, like expensive food, right? The second one is eating too daintily. Then he talks about eating too much, which is sort of what we would expect to, to connect with gluttony. Eating too soon and eating too eagerly. There's, there's something to think about, that gluttony is a little wider than just eating too much. Paul doesn't use the word, when he ta- but he does talk about gluttony in the context of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which we read from earlier when we did communion. And it's worth pointing out that this context, the, the context of communion in the Corinthian church and in the Christian church in the first century in general, would be much closer to what we would describe as a church potluck than the way that we celebrated earlier with, you know, a little ounce of juice and a little wafer. It would be much closer to a church potluck, and that's worth bearing in mind, but it still matters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 22, which are the verses just before what I read earlier when we did communion, Paul says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. So some people in the Corinthian church, are they're getting together to have the Lord's Supper, which in their context is more like an actual supper, but some of them are picking out and getting drunk and other people are going hungry. They're having a church potluck, except they're not potlucking. They're not putting the food in the common table. They're eating what they bring and leaving the people who don't have much to not get to share. So gluttony in this context isn't only about eating too much. It is also about the failure to provide for others who are in need. Gluttony here is tied to greed, but it is also tied to pride, where people seem to be showing off for each other. There's another very interesting perspective on gluttony, which I read from, there's a, you know, many of you know C.S. Lewis, and he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters, and he writes a, a passage, uh, chapter 17, and he talks about the gluttony of delicacy, and uh, this messed with me and continues to mess with me. And I I hope it'll mess with you. I'm going to just read it out. It isn't very long, but I hope it'll be thought-provoking. The Screwtape Letters are a series of letters which Lewis wrote fictionally. He made them up. But he, he wrote them in the context of an elder demon writing to a junior demon about how best to tempt humans and how to keep humans away from following God. 
So you have to bear this in mind as I'm reading this, that many of the perspectives are upside down. But I'll read this to you. So he writes, My dear Wormwood, who is the junior demon, the contemptuous way in which you spoke of gluttony as a means of catching souls in your last letter only shows your ignorance. One of the great achievements of the last hundred years has been to deaden the human conscience on that subject, so that by now you will hardly find a sermon preached or a conscience troubled by it in the whole length and breadth of Europe. I think we saw that this morning when I asked about who had heard one. This has largely been affected by concentrating all our efforts on gluttony of delicacy, not gluttony of excess. Your patient's mother, as I learned from the dossier, and you might have learned from Glubos, which is her demon, is a good example. She would be astonished, and one day I hope will be, to learn that her whole life is enslaved to this kind of sensuality, which is quite concealed from her by the fact that the quantities involved are small. But what do quantities matter, provided we can use a human belly and palate to produce querulousness, impatience, uncharitableness, and self-concern? Glubos has this old woman well in hand. She is a positive terror to hostesses and servants. She is always turning from what has been offered her to say with a demure little sigh and smile, Oh, please, please, all I want is a cup of tea, weak but not too weak, and the teeniest, weeniest bit of really crisp toast. You see, because what she wants is smaller and less costly than what has been set before her, she never recognizes as gluttony her determination to get what she wants, however troublesome it may be to others. At the very moment of indulging her appetite, she believes that she is practicing temperance. In a crowded restaurant, she gives a little scream at the plate, which some overworked waitress has set before her and says, Oh, that's far, far too much. Take it away and bring me about a quarter of it. If challenged, she would say that she was doing this to avoid waste. In reality, she does it because the particular shade of delicacy to which we have enslaved her is offended by the sight of more food than she happens to want. I could probably leave it there. Very thought-provoking. The idea that we would use food, something offered to us, to make the lives of those around us difficult because they've offered us too much. Really something to think about. And it, it brings up again this idea that gluttony shows up in ways that we don't expect. We can, in fact, be gluttonous of all kinds of things. Some of us are gluttons for entertainment. We love to watch TV or play a video game or read a book or play a board game or watch sports. Whatever it is, we, do, we take in this entertainment and we enjoy it. And it's not even that we enjoy it too much. It's that we enjoy too much of it. Right? Reasonable distinction. Or a gluttony of work. We mentioned, I mentioned, made reference earlier to people who have accumulated more wealth than they can possibly spend in their lifetime. People who do that are also working all the time. Right? I, I know people who are working all the time. These people are gluttons of work. Very quiet in here this morning. 
it was, uh, it was set your clock back Sunday today. Who enjoyed that extra hour of sleep? Come on, don't be shy. I did. We turned on Paw Patrol. We turned on Paw Patrol on the TV and went back to bed. Because when you have little kids, you don't get the extra hour. But we, we found it. It was a great parenting moment. How about the gluttony of sleep, right? We enjoyed, we took in an extra hour of sleep instead of spending that time with our kids. Was that gluttony? I'm not convinced it wasn't. I'm not convinced it was, but it could be, right? There's a case. Gluttony is not just a problem of enjoying the things that God has given you, right? All of those things are good. Work is good. Entertainment is good. Sleep is good. Pleasure is good. Food is good. All of these things are good things. Gluttony is not a problem of enjoying the things that God has given to you. Gluttony is a problem of prioritizing those things over what God has said is important, I think we could probably put this most succinctly, that gluttony is a problem when it hurts others. And we can, we can think about how that, how that works, right? If we spend too long at work, we are depriving our families. If we eat too much and we end up developing health problems, then we are now depriving the people that God had intended for us to minister to, that we now have to spend that time and energy dealing with a health problem. This, this can probably pretty easily applied, that gluttony is a problem when it hurts others. So, what can we do? How can we fight against gluttony? Traditionally, the virtue which, is, which has been put up in, in contrast to gluttony has been temperance, which today we would probably use the word self-control. And that is a fruit of the Spirit. You probably remember we spoke about that this summer. Laura Western brought us a wonderful message on that. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, temperance and self-control is listed as one of the fruit of the Spirit. And think about how often the Bible calls us to self-control. Let's read just a few verses before, just a few verses before the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 to 17, Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do whatever you want. Did you see it there? That, that, like that whole passage is about self-control? That fight against our desires is essential to the Christian walk. And Jesus exemplified this in the garden when he prayed, Yet not my will, but yours be done. That's in Luke twenty-two forty-two. if you want to check my references. And this truly is the key. This is, this is the thing. If you want to fight off gluttony in your life, frankly, if you want to fight off anything, if you want to fight pride, if you want to fight lust, if you want to fight wrath, whatever it is, the key is being relationally close to God and submitting our wills and desires to his purposes. Because, of course, the reality is that we don't need to eat our feelings and try to fill a hole in our hearts if God is already filling it. Everything about our Christian walk flows from our closeness to Christ. Our ability to, not even our ability, but the, the discipline that we use to draw near to God. When you choose to read your Bible or listen to worship music instead of watching TV, when you choose to get up and have some prayer time or a prayer walk 
instead of catching an extra hour. That is when you are moving closer to God. Just as gluttony isn't expressly a sin in the scriptures, but touches all sorts of sin, so the solution to gluttony, self-control and closeness with God, is also the solution to all sorts of sin. So be encouraged. This is efficient spirituality. Thank you. I thought that was funny. This sermon has been really down on flesh and desires, right? And the, the, the idea that, that what your body wants, like that's a bad thing. But the division between flesh and spirit or the low desires and the high desires has deep, deep roots. Judaism, like rabbinic Ju- Judaism, not the Bible itself, but the, the religion that comes out of that, talks about the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Hatav, which is basically the same thing that we're talking about when we say flesh and spirit. The Yetzer Hara is the low desires. This is the flesh. These are the desires for food, sex, security, sleep. They're things that your body needs, but when they're taken to excess or even taken in wrong priority, they produce all kinds of trouble. The high desires, or the Yetzer Hatov, on the other hand, are things like reason, love, compassion, moral sense, and worship. And these are the things that should be driving us. The low desires are good, but they should be in the passenger seat. For example, when the Yetzer Hara, the low desires, is in charge, the desire for love and companionship becomes promiscuity. But when the Yetzer Hatov is in charge, the Yetzer Hara leads to marriage. When the Yetzer Hara is in charge, when the low desires are in charge, the desire for food becomes gluttony. But when the high desires are in charge, the desire for food becomes commerce, something that blesses everyone involved, you know, provided you're doing good commerce. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, and that's how we're going to end our sermon. Because this passage is about hope. It's about the hope that the God who raises the dead, the God who lives in you, is able to redeem not only your good desires, but that even your evil desires can be shaped and used to glorify God. And I want to leave us with that hope. So let's read Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, your flesh. He will even give life to that because of his spirit who lives in you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word.
Thank you for bodies, God. Thank you for food and pleasure and joy. And thank you, God, for governance, for self-control, that these things don't rule us, but that we submit them to your will and to the greater purposes that you've established in our lives, God. We pray, Lord, that we would live not as people who don't enjoy, but as people who enjoy rightly, as people who live dutifully and correctly and get to enjoy all of the wonderful things that you've given us, God. We thank you for them, Lord. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us, for the joys in our lives, the ways that you've given us to enjoy and be with one another and gather together. We pray that you would put this word in our hearts, that you would raise us up to be your people. In your name we pray, amen.